Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Blue wire. The Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. Round of the break for the Celtics goes around the world. Oh, the circus game in Boston. Walker for three. Kemba Walker from downtown. Tatum drives down. Let's roll it down. Wow. Rebound. Gordon Hayward for two. Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No block out. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I am joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe and Kyle Newbeck of the Philadelphia Philly Voice. Is that right? Correct. The Philly Voice. On, Philly Tom. Voice. <laughs> Have well, me on as a good. guest and you can't even remember where I'm coming from. You're 100% right. And uh, I'm going to do that again. Nicole and I are thrilled to have Kyle Newbeck of the Philly Voice to help us break go. down Celtics versus Sixers. Kyle, what's going on, man? Uh, nothing. Just uh, preparing for a lot of Philadelphia 76ers fan angst over the next, we'll say, week and a half, two weeks, depending on how long this series takes. But, you know, I'm always excited for Sixers Celtics always has a little bit of extra juice. So uh, I'm about ready to go and ready to watch some some real basketball games, we'll say. Absolutely. So basically the format that we decided to take today was Nicole and I have a bunch of reasons why we think the Sixers could win this series. Kyle has some reasons why he thinks the Celtics could win this series. So Nicole, what is the first reason that you think the Sixers could win this series? All right. So Kyle can tell me if I'm thinking like entirely too simplistically here, but I feel like there's no reason why Joel Embiid shouldn't be able to take over the game. I mean, he's seven foot, 280 pounds, like has more size and strength than any big on the Celtics roster. The last time they, or I don't know if this is the most recent matchup, but I feel like that December game is basically like the blueprint for them. And I know that was eight months ago. So how much can you really take from that? But in that game, he had 38 points, went to the line 14 times, 15 rebounds, also six assists. So he's a bit of a facilitator there. And I went back and read my takeaways from that game. And I feel like this quote from him really like captures sort of that approach. And this is him talking about the Philly shooters. If they don't make shots, it's easier to double team me. If they do, then you got to make a decision. Do you want to give up a three or just hope your big man tries to stop me? It's a hard decision to make. The Celtics really don't have an answer for him other than a double team. And if he is effective when that comes by either passing or just making the right read and not turning the ball over, it's a really hard situation for the Celtics. Like one-on-one, they won't be able to contain him. Obviously, Robert Williams has sort of come into the mix now as a center, but like that's just not going to work against Joel Embiid. I'm sorry. (laughs) Obviously, Daniel Tice has been the Celtics starting center. But in the matchups against Philly, they found that Ennis Cantor is better in terms of like matching up against someone with like that size. But if like Philly watches any of Ennis's like performances in the pick and roll coverage, he's very exploitable in like a different, basically outside of the post. So I feel like they can easily win this Joel Embiid matchup. I don't really see the Celtics answer 
And at the very least, he'll draw a lot of fouls and put Daniel Tyson foul trouble, Cantor, Williams, I mean, Marcus Smart, depending on who they match up against. And I feel like the dominoes effects there are just useful in Philly's favor. So Kyle, is that like realistic or is that just a really obvious Well, it's obvious, but it's also (laughs) correct. Like, if there's a case for them winning the series, Joel has to be the best player in the series. And I don't think it can be – it can't be like it's close with him and Tatum or close with him and Kemba Walker or whoever it might be. He has to definitively be the guy. And and as you say, I I do think – and I wrote about this a lot. Basically, you hit all the points – Yes, he's got all these favorable matchups. And yes, that December game is not just the blueprint against the Celtics. But like that is if you want to have a title team built around Joel Embiid, that's who he has to be a 30 plus point scorer, a guy who not only did he have six assists, I believe he only had two turnovers in that game, which for him has always historically, especially against the Celtics, who do a really good job at at timing doubles and keeping him sort of off kilter throughout the game. That was like, whoa, this is the type of game we haven't seen him play. To his credit, we have seen him teams a lot better in Orlando. That's been like a significant development for him. That It hasn't been perfect. There have been some struggles in the last two games that were meaningless games anyway. But, but yeah, that is like point one in Philly winning. Now, what I will say is, and you brought up Ennis Canner, they let Canner off the hook a lot in these matchups. And I think one of the problems with Joel and like a Joel-centric offense is that Number one, they didn't run a lot of pick and rolls. But number two, he doesn't like them, which those two ideas are like interconnected. He wants the ball on the low block. And so the most exploitable part of Canner's game on defense is something that Joel is not necessarily involved in. Now they have picked up, they've run more pick and rolls with him as the screener. I think it has helped that they did bring Shake Milton into the starting lineup. And he's just like, you know, he's a credible pull-up shooter, catch-and-shoot guy. You know, one way it will be helpful that Ben Simmons is out is there's just more space on the floor and there are more guys that are credible pick-and-roll ball handlers. So we'll see how that impacts the Embiid-Canner dynamic. And you brought up Robert Williams. I don't think he could defend Joel Embiid if he had a, a baseball bat to use against him. But I wonder if Stevens would be would like mix and match where maybe when Joel hits the bench and it's just Horford, I think Robert Williams is the sort of guy that I've seen give Horford trouble all year where he's really vertical. And there is a lot of times this year where Horford just there are lobs going over his head that he couldn't do anything with. And I think Boston could probably exploit that. And you play him for like maybe that five minute period and Joel comes in and you throw Canner at him. Most coaches don't want to be that back and forth with their big man rotation. They want to let guys settle in more. But I think there's a case to be made that that might end up being the best route for Boston in this series. What's Joel's status like injury wise? Like, is he 100% ready to go? I don't know that I would say he's 100%, but he's as close to 100% as he's been heading into the playoffs at any point. So he had a, an ankle issue that he picked up against. All these games have blended together now. It was like <laughs> last week he had an ankle issue, left a game, but I was told he didn't even get uh, x-rays or an MRI on it. They held him out mostly for precautionary reasons. They pulled him 
from the game against the Raptors on Wednesday. He had a wrist. He got hit on his right wrist, and that flared up again against Houston on Friday. He was favoring it a little bit, grabbing at it a little bit. So I don't know if that's a – you know, especially for a guy who posts up, you're going to get whacked on the arm, whacked on the wrist a ton. And so if that becomes an issue, that's something to potentially watch, especially like he doesn't do a good job of hiding this stuff. I think that's an undervalued trait in athletes is like, hiding whatever is hurting you so that the other team can't hurt it right. more other than that those are I don't think they they have not talked about them or treated them like serious injuries so I'm going I don't think there are any you know health related okay. issues or excuses for him right now the, the thing that I'm interested in on Cantor is if the Celtics decide like I think one of the best strategies the Celtics can do against Embiid is just basically say like look let's put somebody on Embiid who can credibly try against him like hopefully won't get injured by like the enormous seven foot man and then just sort of be like okay like if he gets 35 but he has to try to get those 35 shut everything else down and assume that your offense is going to get enough on the other end without Ben Simmons in the game to make up the difference the thing about Cantor is that while he does you know have the size to make Embiid's life a little more difficult he opens up other options for Philly in a way that I don't know would be the Celtics goal if their goal was just like let Embiid get 35 or 40 and and shut everything else down Cantor would give the Sixers other weapons in a way that I don't know that that's what the Celtics would want to do um, I feel like it might be better to just say, like, let's be as versatile as possible. Let's do what we can against Embiid, like, one-on-one and hope that the other stuff gets shut down. I, I don't know how they're going to approach that. I mean, I think they might try – I mean, it's it's a playoff series. They're going to try everything. Well, I think that's kind of been – and granted, they had Al Horford before, so it was a little bit different. But I think a lot of times that was the case – historically over the last few years where you know they would leave Horford on an island and they certainly would send double teams at Joel but it wasn't uh, they're not hard doubling him every time he touches the ball it's saying hey we trust Al and those type of bigs where you know Al is not the thing that I've seen in Philadelphia is like Al is not the same kind of rim protector as Joel just because he's simply not as big like you can't protect the rim when you're a couple inches smaller and what have you but his center of gravity and his strength are really good. And those are the guys that Joel struggles with. And that's why the Canner thing is so interesting. Like I watch Canner play, not just in Boston, but everywhere else he's been. And teams just rip him to shreds in the pick and roll. But because the Sixers historically have not been a pick and roll team, they don't have as much success against a guy like him as maybe they should. Now, I will say they've been running a lot more pick and roll. And part of that's because Alec Burks is now in the rotation. And that's like, it's a setting where he thrives. Shake Milton is now a a part of the starting lineup. And they can put him in in those sort of actions in a way that like Ben Simmons, you're on a pick and roll and teams are just sagging under it. And you're not accomplishing anything other than making life harder for the roller. So I do think that they might be able to, use the pick and roll as more of a weapon than we've seen them use before. But obviously we have to wait and see on that one. Do you guys want my, uh, very, you know, Nicole was laughing about her point being simplistic. I can give you guys my one simplistic <laughs> reason that the Celtics are going to win before we get into the deeper stuff. Yeah, let's get it. Here's what it is. The Boston Celtics are just a better basketball team <laughs> than the Sixers. And they've proven like, I know the season series is more relevant probably than their record against the entire league but if you just look at the Celtics on a general level they were a more professional more cohesive team night after night 
they have a style that I think is more conducive to winning basketball in 2020. Like, even though the Joel Embiid Al Horford front court has looked better without Ben Simmons on the floor, and that has kind of alleviated some of the issues, Boston has the profile of an actual contender. They're a top five offense, they're top five defense. They have several guys who, and Brett Brown has even come out and said this. He's like, they have probably four guys that could go out and get 30 points on a given night. And so they're not like we talk about Embiid being the potential difference maker and the deciding factor in the series for Philly. Well, like if Jason Tatum doesn't have a good series, there are still avenues for Boston to win. If Kemba Walker doesn't have a good series, there are avenues for Boston to win. Like they have guys that can pick up the slack in a way that I don't know that Philadelphia has that. To me, I believe in the body of work. And sometimes that doesn't end up being relevant. Like last year, I thought the Bucs were going to win the title. I thought they at least go to the finals because they were pretty clearly the best team in the East for the entire year. And that ended up being, you know, Toronto got hot in the conference finals and they won. But generally, I think one of the reasons that I like the NBA is that that body of work ends up mattering. You don't get a lot of fluke champions. And so, like, I believe in Boston to show up and be the team that they've proven themselves to be more than I believe in whatever the hell the Sixers have been this year. One of my points was that maybe the circumstantial factors could play in Philly's favor. So I'm curious to hear what you think about that. Like, one, the fact that they're in the bubble, there's no home court advantage. Two, the fact that the Sixers are sort of playing with house money at this point. Like, everybody expects them to lose. Everybody sort of has written them off. And three, Brett Brown's potentially coaching for his job. Like, do you think any of that they can channel into just pulling off one series win? It's pretty reasonable. And I would say the biggest way that benefits them is that I think that their bench players might get a lift. Like, I think Boston has more high-end depth. Like, Marcus Smart, obviously, is really good and I think the starting lineup depth in terms of scoring options and all that as we just went over like that matters a lot but guys like you know TJ Warren just had an insane run in the bubble it's still technically going on right now but has been on an insane run I don't know how much better the high level guys get from being in this like fanless I don't want to say pressure free but less pressure in the environment I think it really benefits the guys who are more fringe guys or like further down the rotation guys where you know they're not dealing with the crowd noise they're not dealing with the normal stresses of the playoffs the Sixers have gotten great contributions from like Furkan Korkmaz is shooting like a billion percent from three (laughs) right now Uh, Alec Burks has been sensational people act like he's like the greatest bench guard of all time right now it's like you know let's slow it down a little bit guys there's a reason people like Alec Burks are available for pretty cheap at the trade deadline and even someone like Shake Milton who this is a very new experience for him he's only had maybe like a month or two of productive NBA basketball and normally you head into the playoffs with a guy like that it's like well he's probably screwed and gonna come crashing back down to earth but you know you never know I like maybe all the normal factors that we think of with young young players and inexperienced guys just don't matter right now. And I think that it le- that lifts Philly up more than it lifts the Celtics up, I think. Yeah, the Celtics obviously have, like you said, so much high-end talent, but you, you kind of know what the high-end talent is going to be. Like, you can prepare for all of these guys. You know what Kemba Walker is going to be. You know what Jason Tatum is going to be. You know what Jalen Brown is going to be. And then you also know 
that like that that's where they're going to get their production. There's just so little chance of somebody coming in off the Celtics bench aside from Smart. You just kind of know where all the offense is going to be coming from for a team like Philly that is you know defensive minded that does have several players who can who can presumably at least slow the Celtics down in certain ways. Like I think over the course of a series that might really help them to be a little bit more unpredictable. Whereas the Celtics, like yeah, I mean they've got all these guys who could score, they've got all these guys who could pass, but like you know who they're going to be night in and night out. Like, you're not going to be stunned if Gordon Hayward scores 28 points. Yeah, like, no disrespect to him, but you'd be stunned if, like, Shemi Ojale drops, you know, 18 or something like that. Like, that I mean, would be, like, a huge moment. It's also just not going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> it literally yeah. isn't a possibility. <laughs> Whereas, if you look at the Sixers, you like, yeah, like, I could see Furk and Korkmaz, like, scoring 26. I could see Alec Burks putting up 24. Like, I feel like there's some advantage there for the Sixers where it might not be quite as predictable. This was always going to be the case regardless of the format that they did. Like, even if they were traveling like baseball is doing right now and like football is planning to do, if you're playing in fanless arenas, we have no frame of reference for how these guys are going to react to that. You know, like some guys, some guys, it's a negative. They, they want to feed off the crowd energy. And I think that was a lot, like there were a lot of people that were concerned that that'd be the case for Joel Embiid because you guys know as well as I do, he's a big ham and he likes to go out there and play to the crowd. And even the, the away games, like I think honestly, a lot of times he likes being on the road, even though their road record would suggest this isn't the case. I think he likes being on the road and being the villain and kind of leaning into that role almost or perhaps more than being the Iverson hand to the ear guy at home. So, you know, there's no way to know how these guys will react. And we also don't know too. There are a lot of factors like officiating fouls have been way up in the bubble and that could theoretically help Philly a lot. Like that Joel Embiid is someone that he lives at the free throw line. If he's living there even more and he's putting guys in foul trouble, even guys that are like, if Boston tries to double and they're using you know, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, whoever it might be on a given possession, and they get caught on more reaches and then they're in foul trouble, that can take away some of Boston's advantage that they have in the series. So there are a lot of factors like that that I think are hard to account for without actually seeing the games take place yet. For sure. What do you got for a second reason that Boston might uh, might pull this one out? Obviously, Ben Simmons' absence looms very large. I don't think it looms larger anywhere than on defense because I think the domino effect of not having Simmons is going to be intense for them. So if you look at a lot of the matchup data and just like the raw statistics for guys, Tatum was guarded by Simmons for, I would say, the majority of the time these teams played this year. And Tatum did not have a good year in terms of, like, efficiency-wise against Philly. I think he shot something like 33% from the field across four games, which, you know, that's well below the standards he set before this year, let alone this year, which I would consider, like, he, and you guys know better than I do, but I think he's taken a, a leap to, like, a completely different level of player this year. And so to see him struggle in that way is like, you know, a lot of the credit there belongs to Ben. And so I I think, number one, Tatum has an easier job. 
But then you look beyond that, like what happens because Ben is out? Well, so if you have to switch, let's say they decide we want to use, I don't know, let's say Josh Richardson on Tatum because he's one of their better. I don't think those are the type of guys that Richardson does well against, but just for sake of argument, let's say they do that. Well, then, Also not the type of guy that Tatum struggles with for the record. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so let's say they do that and they decide that's how they want to match it up. Well, then who guards Kemba Walker if you don't change the starting lineup? Because Shake Milton would get absolutely – roasted by Kemba Walker and that's honestly that's another huge side plot is Shake Milton is not a good defender and there's nowhere to really hide him in that starting lineup for Philly so that's a potential big problem Tobias Harris is not guarding Kemba Walker and even like Tobias Harris guarding Jalen Brown or Gordon Hayward is not really a great matchup for Philly it's something that you live with because I think those are like comparatively better than letting Tatum go out and do whatever he wants or putting you know slower defenders on Kemba and then you have to consider like okay then do we need to change our starting lineup so Brett's inclination has been we start Al Horford again and you know maybe he ends up getting the Tatum assignment I don't know that that would work I think Al is smart enough to do it I think one reason I believe it might work is that Tatum's not necessarily like a blow-by guy he's a great pull-up shooter and he likes to operate in that mid-post area but I think Al might be able to use his length to at least prevent him from getting to the rim. And, you know, if he hits a bunch of mid-range shots, he hits a bunch of mid-range shots. But no matter what you do, it's a problem. Like, if you switch somebody onto Tatum, that creates problems elsewhere. If you leave Horford on him, that's a problem. Even if they bring Thibel into the starting lineup for Horford and they say, all right, you have to take one of these assignments like that might be better but I have argued all year that I think Thibault is better on the type of guys that Richardson's good at like the Kemba Walkers of the world and so I don't know that they really have options to defend big wings and unfortunately for them Boston's got a lot of big wings that can score and create for others so I I think that's a, a huge problem for them. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that Tatum's not a blow-by guy, because that's right, but he is kind of like a get-a-step guy. And I think that's to your point about Horford, where Horford's length could play a major role just in bothering that, because Tatum is so long himself that, like, against almost anybody who guards him, getting that step is, is good enough, because he can get to the rim, he can do those swooping layups, he can you know, yeah. maybe draw some fouls. I think that's a good potential solution, or at least, you know, at least a Band-Aid to try to fix the problem. Because Tatum has never had much trouble with guys like Richardson, or even with guys like Thibel, and I know Thibel's like so talented with his hands that he can disrupt a lot of people. But and he's still those... so young too. Like throwing exactly. a guy like that on, like, and I know Tatum is young, and so, but I mean young in terms of experience. Like I think yeah. Tatum could very easily just put him in the torture chamber, and you know he's in foul trouble the entire series. It's interesting how this series, I mean, like any other playoff series really is going to kind of come down to, I think, the best player on each team. Like if Jason Tatum has a huge series, I don't think Philly can win and Philly really needs Embiid to have a huge series to win. But that does kind of bring me into one of my other points, which was that I think one reason the Sixers could have some optimism, they do have the personnel to really do a good job and he maybe even kind of neutralize Kemba. Just the length that they can throw at him. Kemba brought up Josh Richardson and said that he was a guy that he's, you know, had a lot of really good battles with. I, we, we saw what can happen when Tybal guards him. I just think there's a lot to be said when you're the Sixers for being able to, like, really shut down not only one of the stars, but, like, the point of attack. To really limit the guy who's going to be running a lot of the pick and rolls, the guy who's, 
you know, kind of the spark plug in that way. I really like Thibel on Kemba. I think that he does a great job. He pursues over the screens really well. He uses his length. He disrupts. All those things are, are really good. And I'll be curious to see how the Celtics offense adjusts if that one, you know, kind of important part of their offense is limited. I agree with you. I think that if there's a matchup that they're best suited to defend, it's that one. My stance on this is going to sound weird. Like It's not that I think that they should just let Kemba run roughshod on them. I think if you're going to let one guy sort of like go off, Kemba might be the best one in the sense that like if you just simply chase him over screens and you funnel him toward Joel Embiid or Al Horford at the basket that is a better option than pretty much anything like Tatum with his length Jalen Brown with his athleticism Gordon Hayward with his ability to play make even to a degree I don't know that Kemba is like Kemba could put up 40 and I feel like the Sixers could still win the game because I think in games where I've seen him have big games, it's a lot of now granted most of this is from watching him in Charlotte where he kind of had to just put up 40 shots or 38 shots or whatever it is to get there and he doesn't have other options. So maybe you guys can counter me here. But I feel like if you can just let him get his in the same way we were talking about letting Joel Embiid just, you know, if he scores a ton of points, but everything else is uh, not necessarily firing on all cylinders, that might end up suiting Boston. I think if you just let Kemba have his way and focus your energy towards stopping the, the wing trio, then maybe that ends up being a better outcome for Philly. But I don't think I would take that route just because like, I would still be worried that Kemba could score 50 or whatever and, and just absolutely light shake Milton on fire. But I, I think it's something they might have to consider at some point, depending on how uh, the initial matchups go. In this season, Kemba has taken 20 shots or more 10 times. Um, the Celtics are four and six in those games. There so, you go. And, 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 you know, they're all games. I mean, he had 44 against Indiana. The Celtics lost. He had 35 against the Pelicans. The Celtics lost. So, yeah, I mean, it isn't always um, in the Celtics' best interest for him to be a volume player. Like, the guy who they want to be a volume player is Tatum because yeah. they win when Tatum's a volume player. Having Kemba be your fill-in-the-gap guy is so much better for the Celtics than having him be your primary guy, which I don't think was what everybody expected coming into the season, but it really has kind of borne out that way. Nicole, what do you uh, what do you got for a reason the Sixers might win? Um, well, we kind of said them all. It's kind of hard to come <laughs> up with six reasons why the Sixers are going to win the series. But the last point I had was just sort of Al Horford. And Kyle touched on this. I think Horford on Tatum could be a good option. Kyle touched on this as well, but... Um, with I'm ben sorry Simmons. for stealing all your thunder, Nicole. <laughs> I wasn't... I didn't, I, unintentionally, I promise. <laughs> with Ben Simmons out... I think that sort of allows for more spacing and allows Al and Joel to play a little bit better together. I mean, Horford is also a threat from three that can be useful. So I don't know. I just feel like he and everyone, all the Celtics fans would talk about like playoff Al. I know the Sixers haven't, or the Sixers fan base hasn't been particularly pleased with his performance thus far. But They've been on the other side of playoff Al though. So they are familiar <laughs> with him uh, yeah. being on the other side of it. So I think like maybe there's something to that. Obviously that's like anecdotal and there's no like stats. Oh, I mean, there's stats are in that because he does well, but you yeah. can't count on that necessarily. And also just the fact that he's not on the Celtics that allows for Joel Embiid potentially to do everything that we had said. I think that he, he could be of use, especially without Simmons. Yeah, and I think one thing that's really important is he has, to the playoff out point, he has just looked better since they've gotten to Orlando. I don't know that he was fully healthy 
during the year. Like he wasn't as agile and, you know, they didn't even really try to use him to show or hedge against pick and rolls early in the season. And not only have they increased that with him, they've increased that with Joel, which they almost have never done that in the past. So I think that they have a belief that these guys are in better shape than before or better. And that, that helps them mix up coverages and do some different things that they haven't done before. I think part of the reason I would be optimistic about Horford on Tatum is that, you know, they're not similar players, but maybe similar athletes where last year against Toronto, they used Joel Embiid on Pascal Siakam and said like, okay, see what you can do with this. And Siakam, when they had that matchup before Toronto moved some things around, Siakam struggled in that series at times. You know, Horford and Embiid are different players, but they at least have experience of, okay, if we use our center or if we use a big man on a wing, we have ways that we can funnel these guys where we want to go. And I think it helps that both Embiid and Horford are high-level defenders in different ways. So, you know, they have chess pieces they can use. And it'll be interesting to see if playoff Al ends up coming out here. But he shot better. His legs look better. And I think more than at any point in this season, there's reason to believe that you know, he can be a high-level contributor in this series. Like, was he hurt during the season? Was it like a health thing? Was it just kind of like a wear and tear thing? Like, what was what was going on? They never came out and said there was any kind of issue. I, and he wouldn't really admit to anything either. Yeah. When we asked him about it, he's like, oh, I just got to figure things out, blah, blah, blah. But I think he's noticeably more explosive than he is now. And, you know, even explosive for Al Horford, it's not like he's throwing down <laughs> windmill dunks or anything. But his ability to move in space is a lot more obvious than it's been at any point this season. And Nicole brought it back up again, so I have to echo her point. I, I think the fact that Simmons is not in the paint on offense, like you do get to see Al yeah. with like his short roll passing or like if he operates at the elbows, he's got guys who can cut into space rather than when Simmons is in there and he's in the dunker spot or like around the rim, there's nowhere to cut to because teams just sag off him and everyone's in the paint and you're just cutting into more bodies. So I think you've seen guys like Matisse Thibel, Glenn Robinson, et cetera, et cetera, they're making use of that space, not just as drivers, but also as cutters. When Horford has guys that are doing those things, it makes him look like the guy that we've seen historically rather than the, I don't want to say he's washed, but he looked a lot closer to being washed this year than uh, in years past. That makes sense. The last point I had on why I think the Sixers can win this series. With Joel Embiid on the floor and Ben Simmons off, according to Cleaning the Glass, Sixers shot 38% from three, which would be like one of the top teams in the NBA. They didn't take that many. They were just like fourth percentile in attempts. But their offense was 11.6 points per 100 possessions better. They were really, really good with Embiid on the floor and Simmons off. I'm fascinated to see like what this team might look like, like really engaged, really intense Joel Embiid with a bunch of shooters, with a bunch of floor spacing. I think there's a lot of Celtics fans who are ready to kind of like move on. And they're already talking about like play at Toronto. The Sixers offense has been so good without Simmons and with Joel Embiid on the floor that I think that they could, I think that could be a real weapon. I actually wrote a long thing at the beginning of last week because, you know, with this team, it's always, they got to trade one, they got to trade one, they got to trade one whenever one of them is out. So I wrote the, no, they shouldn't trade them. They should just get more guys who can dribble the basketball and shoot. <laughs> but I like, I think a big thing 
that they're going to find out in this playoff series and you know if they get past Boston somehow from this playoff run generally is what do things look like if the the ecosystem it revolves around Joel and Joel alone you know obviously if it ends up that that's what they go with down the road at some point it would be better if they weren't relying on like Shake Milton to be one of the primary ball handlers and they upgraded those pieces and, and so on and so forth. But it's at least a proof of concept for a type of team around Embiid. And I think, you know, some of the credit for their improved offense belongs on his shoulders where he's making quicker reads and they have spent a lot of time in the bubble, like during their practices working on that stuff they're drilling double teams constantly and trying to get him ready for what he's going to see in the playoffs some of it is they just have more shooters on the floor guys who can take advantage of even if it's not his shooters like someone like Alec Burks he's been a good catch and shoot guy in Orlando but he's like probably better known for he can attack guys off the dribble so when the closeouts come now they have guys who have good enough ball handling to get to the rim, either get fouled or maybe they're creating another open three opportunity just by putting stress on the defense. So, yeah, I I think the offense has been way better in Orlando. And, you know, some of that's also because defense has been down for the entire league. To your point earlier about how some of the other factors help the Sixers more than the Celtics, a team that struggled on offense getting this lift from, you know, the general setting where – offenses are having an easier time that benefits the Sixers more than the Celtics who are already like I don't want to say they're at their total ceiling as an offensive team but they're much closer they're already a top five offense the difference between being the fourth best offense and one is a lot less significant than the Sixers going from like 16th to maybe fringe top 10 or something like that that's a potentially huge development if they can improve to that degree one of the things I wanted to ask you, Kyle, well, first of all, do you have, uh, do you have anything else that you wanted to, uh, any of your other points on why the Celtics might win that you wanted to get off? Yeah, I would say like the third thing that was like my, on my list of points would be the Sixers just have far too many unknowns. And that's the case for like the proof of concept for the team. They just don't have a lot of Embiid reps without Simmons to bank on this double big front court with unproven players like Shake Milton in the starting lineup. You have Furkan Korkmaz who, you know, we saw in 2018, he was not in the rotation then, but the Sixers had guys who were a unitask type players like JJ Redick and Marco Bellinelli that their shooting is great, but they're obviously targets to be picked on by the likes of Tatum and Brown and Kemba Walker and Hayward. And even to a lesser extent, Marcus Smart, like a guy like Cork Moss could easily, like he could shoot 40% in the series from three and still potentially be given more points back on the other end because Boston is not just uniquely equipped to attack mismatches, but they, I think, historically have shown they are willing to just ruthlessly hunt those if they can get those. And so, you know, I think the Sixers are going to be put in a lot of compromised positions because of that. I think the combination of we don't know what we can get from this guy. They might have to be playing guys in the rotation that, you know, like Glenn Robinson and even Alec Burks, who's gotten more time in Orlando, 
they're like rotation level basketball players, but they don't have reps and chemistry to fall back on with these guys. They came in after the deadline. Then the league comes to a screeching halt in mid-March. They play like eight games in this altered state in Orlando. And it's like, hey, now you have to be part of the playoff rotation. There's a lot of things that we just don't know how to account for. And that, you know, when push comes to shove, if it's in crunch time or there's a big moment in a game, these guys don't have the reps together that a lot of Boston's guys do. And I, I think that stuff matters when you get to the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think it is funny how easy it is to sort of swap out like the 2018 to 2020. Like, okay, so Bellinelli is now just Korkmaz. Like, it's like- I, I think Korkmaz can do more as an attacker off the dribble. And okay. he, like they've let him run pick and roll some this year. And I think it's some of it is they're trying to recreate a little bit of the chemistry that Embiid and Redick had. Like that two-man game was some of the best offense they ran. And Korkmaz is nowhere near the player that Redick is, but he's also like he does have some craft in it, in his handle, and he he can if he was stronger, he'd be able to get to the basket more and maybe take advantage of that. So like he can do some more stuff maybe than Bellinelli, but defensively it's the same problem. Like they're just they're the sort of guys that are just going to get picked on whenever they're on the floor. And you're 100% right that Stevens is the kind of coach who, I mean, we've heard other players say before that, like, if a player was beating them over and over, like, they look over the bench and Steven is just like, do it again, do it again. Yeah. Like, just to, yeah, he's, he's soft-spoken, but uh, ruthless at that stuff. When people say that Stevens is a great coach and all that, you traditionally think of a, and Stevens is a great X and O's guy, great out-of-time mouse and all that stuff. And I think that's what people think of when they say someone's a great coach. But, like, sometimes it's just doing the simple stuff well yeah and like attacking someone like Korkmaz seems like oh that's an obvious thing but there are coaches and there are teams and players that just don't do that and they're not instructed to do that and emphasizing stuff like that's really important and I think that's a big part of what helps him separate himself from the pack is like he doesn't you don't have to split the atom every game to be a good coach it's okay, what's the situation? What are the matchups? And what can we do to best help the team win? And if that ends up being Jason Tatum driving at Furkan Korkmaz 15 times in a row and, and forcing them to either take them off the floor or live with it, then that's what you have to do. And that's probably one of the strongest cases in the Celtics' favor is just like they have this like read and react system where they've got all these talented guys who can all kind of do a little bit of everything. It's brutal for opponents and some of the matchup issues do become particularly exacerbated. I did want to ask you, the Sixers ended the bubble. They lost three of their last four. What happened in those games? Like, was it, I mean, I know they played Dame. That's just tough. What kind of happened in those four games? Like, what were some of the trends that you noticed? Do you think any of them are kind of concerning going into the uh, playoffs for Philly? So I'm going to, this is going to make me sound like uh, process era propaganda, but like, <laughs> I honestly think there was way more good than bad in all those games. And I think the, the final result ends up being like, you know, their end of bench guys losing to the likes of like, so the Portland game, Joel exits with the ankle issue and doesn't play and the starters start coming out and Portland has something to play for. And, you know, at that point, the Sixers really don't. So Portland wins the game, whatever. The Phoenix game, they sat all of their starters except for, I think, Shake Milton played in that game. So Tobias, Richardson, Horford, and Embiid all out. They still, like, they competed hard and they were in that game for a long time. But, like, none of that stuff really, really matters. The Toronto game, Joel only played the first half. And I think they were up by, like, 20 points at halftime. Again, they emptied the bench and the bench is, like, not good. And 
they lose. And then they play Houston and the starters play. They kick the shit out of Houston with the starters and without the starters. They end up winning by like almost 40 points. I think what you saw more than like I look past the the losses and I see like the offense does look crisper. I think they have competed harder on defense. And, you know, maybe some of that is just because you have the end of bench guys in there and they're setting a different tone than maybe Embiid does. Like they're more desperate players in Orlando to, you know, in someone like Alec Burks's case, he's playing for a contract and, and that stuff matters. But there is a level of tenacity that we saw from them that I was encouraged by. And I think whenever they had the the starters and the, the guys who are going to be in the rotation on the floor, they looked really good. So I would go the opposite way. I, I think in those last four games, they looked really good. And the final results are like, whatever. If we're living in the real world and they're playing for like actual home court advantage or whatever, then, you know, then maybe we have some stuff to talk about. But I think given the uh, the context of the games, they looked about as sharp as I probably could have expected them to. Uh, Nicole, did you have anything else? About who's going to win the series? I mean, not really, but I just have such a strong appreciation for Brett Brown. I love hearing from him, especially compared to Brad Stevens. Like, um, I was in his Zoom the other day, and he was talking about Matisse Seibel, and he was like, yeah, Matisse is going to be enormous, huge, massive role for us. And like, Brad Stevens would just never say that. Like, would never <laughs> let He on. wouldn't say that about Tatum. So it's just funny to hear to hear from him. Is he, like, has he acknowledged sort of, like, the implications of this series and things like that? Or has Elton Brand spoken to the media much? We haven't talked to Elton in a while. I, I think the last time this came up with Brett was probably at some point during the quarantine period where the, we had a couple check-ins. I'm sure you guys had the same thing with the Celtics. We had a couple check-ins with the coaching staff and players and you know, his basic thing was like, I'm not going, and this is his general approach to coaching, I think, is I'm not going to coach out of fear. And like, I, I can't go, I can't show up to work and, and show up for a game and think like, well, this, I have to do this because of job security or anything like that. And that he, he believes that if you start coaching like that, like that's probably the quickest path to losing what you believe in and what you stand for. And then that's the, the path to losing your job. And so like, I don't know that he's going to coach any differently but you know it's a lot easier for him to say that than it is to actually believe it and live that like I I think at this point especially with Ben out there are some Sixers fans who've been like well now they have an excuse to keep him and they're all mad because he's not the most popular guy in Philadelphia these days but like I think the writing's on the wall I think if if they don't get to at least the conference finals and I would argue even if they made it to the conference finals I don't think that's enough at this point I, I think given where they're at in like his coaching lifespan he's been here for seven years they seemingly this year take a step back you know the first year of Ben and Joel they should have won the series against Boston didn't and a lot of people put that on Brett probably rightfully so last year they get much closer they lose to the eventual title winners and Brett actually did a really good job during the playoffs last year and then they make the decisions they make and, you know, the team takes a step back. The roster doesn't make a lot of sense. And to me, it's it's like the first Band-Aid you have to rip off because you have to see like, okay, if we change the coach, 
can someone else, a new voice, make sense of this? And there have been things that have happened throughout the year where, you know, he challenged Ben Simmons to shoot a three per game at one point. That doesn't come to fruition, obviously. And so, like, that gets held up as an example, probably rightfully so, of, like, is he getting through to these guys the way he needs to? There's not a point where I would say this year where they quit on him, but there's also a middle ground between – yeah, maybe they didn't quit on him, but this is not like they're not running through a wall for him. And I think at this point, and it sounds cliche, but I think they need the guy who's going to be the person who pushes them over the top, whether that's like, I don't know who that is because they need someone who's good at X's and O's to, to figure out this jumbled mess. But they also need someone who has the the respect and the cachet and for lack of a better term, the the balls to like stand up to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and let them know like, yeah, you might be the stars of the team, but this is not like a, a one-way message. Like You have to listen to me. There has to be a level of accountability. So, you know, maybe we'll end up talking about who that is at some point, but I, I think he knows as well as anyone that time is probably almost up. So uh, I have enjoyed dealing with Brett. I think he's a, a, a great person. I think he's a good coach who'd probably be better suited for you know more of an up-and-coming team than this one is right now. I guess we'll see how things shake out. Last thing for you before we call it a pod. Everybody want to give your uh, your predictions? Kyle, you want to start? I'm taking the Celtics in six games. I, I think I laid out all my uh, my reasoning. I, I think the Simmons absence is huge. I think Boston's been a better team. I think they just have less to figure out on the fly than the Sixers do. Nicole? I mean, I think the Celtics are probably going to win in five, um, even though we just laid out all these convincing points (laughs) as to why the Sixers could win. I do think it would be like, I don't know what the right word is, like cruel, hilarious. It would be chaotic if the Sixers somehow pull this off. Like of all the times that the Sixers actually like come through, it's in this moment. I just think (laughs) that that would be amazing. You know, that's really the case for if you want the number one reason the Sixers are going to win, it's because their number one thing is fucking things up. And so, like, (laughs) anything that makes people say, wow, they need to trade Ben Simmons, and wow, how did the Celtics screw this up, and wow, like, all these big issues, that's why they would win, because they're the chaos team. So part of me wants to see that, but realistically, I just don't know if that can happen. I'm Celtics in five too, but I, I think it's going to go either like Celtics like win pretty easily or like the Sixers win in a dog fight. I, after kind of taking a closer look at Philly and um, especially hearing you say that you were kind of encouraged by the last four games that it feels like they might be like somewhat more coherent right now. I think that there's a better chance for Philly than like most people in Boston would probably like to admit. Uh, and most people in Philly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Everybody, except for Brad Stevens. I think Brad loves that Philly would actually, I think Brad would love to hear that people think that Philly have a chance because I don't think he likes this this idea that his team is anything aside from an underdog. No coach ever uh, wants to be the overwhelming favorite. And yeah, and I mean, if there's, I can't, like Brad Stevens hates anything nice being said about him. <laughs> like anytime the Celtics go up by like more than 20 points, I think Brad's pissed. Like I think he's just <laughs> like, fuck, like this is a bad situation for us. He likes to keep everything level, including the score. Um, We'll leave it there, guys. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on. You guys can find him on Twitter, at Kyle Newbeck, N-E-U-B-E-C-K. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys.
sports are back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Pandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels, so never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne CBD products. Started by Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N, dot com slash bluewire. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.